Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning, Jubilee. It's wonderful to be with you. I'm so um, humbled and thrilled to be asked to open God's Word with you this morning, and I've been blessed by so many of your leaders and members over the years, so it's a real treat to feel like God has given me an opportunity and and given me something to share with you this morning as well. Um, So with all that said, I think we should jump in. God's Word is full of life, and we're going to feast on it today. Um, So for the past few weeks, I've been following along with your sermon series. I know you've been looking at a few chapters from a letter that Paul wrote to some believers who lived in the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, And Paul is writing this letter. He's been writing it in response to two different things. Um, First, Paul's writing in response to some questions that these believers had. Uh, They'd written to him with things that they were wondering about how to work out among themselves. And secondly, he's writing in response to a kind of disturbing report. He's heard about things that are happening in this church that he needs to speak into. Um, So this morning, we are jumping into the middle of Paul's letter and into the middle of a kind of tricky pastoral situation. Uh, So there are some factors that make uh, what Paul's trying to do in this letter a little bit complicated. Like First, Paul's writing to a church that is full of brand new Christians. Uh, Nobody grew up in a Christian home. Nobody's been to Bible college. Nobody's even been to youth camp. They've just, they've all recently become Christians. And they've come from a variety of circumstances. They've got different backgrounds, different experiences. They're asking different questions. Secondly, uh, the Christians that he's writing to already have some ideas about singleness and marriage and the stuff that they're asking about. Like, they are not blank slates. Uh, It sounds like, from what Paul says, that they had the typical Greco-Roman views from their day. Like, they had absorbed things from popular philosophers and influential thinkers. Um, So Paul's, part of his task is to deconstruct some of their existing views and to reconstruct those based on the gospel. And the third thing that makes his task kind of difficult is that within this church that he's writing to, uh, there were extremes of purity culture on one side and licentiousness on the other. Like There were some married Christians who had written to Paul and said, hey, would it just be better if we lived as celibates within our marriage? Like, they're not just thinking sex outside marriage is off limits. They're wondering if sex within marriage is off limits, too. So that would have been an idea that they absorbed from Greek philosophers. It was part of what they were teaching back then. So all of that to say, if you thought the purity culture of the 90s was weird, (laughs) the first century was weirder. Um, So there's that, you know faction within the church. And then alongside them, there are these other people who are, who are going to the extreme of permissiveness. There are people in the church who are going to temples and sleeping with prostitutes. There's a guy who's having some kind of relationship with his mother-in-law. Uh, so Paul's dealing with people at both extremes of this spectrum. So what's his strategy? What's, how's he going to approach this? How is Paul going to help pastor these believers to grow in faith and obedience? Well, The first thing he does is that Paul champions both singleness and marriage. 
And he does that by describing both of them within the framework of the gospel. And when you do that, you end up with an incredibly high view of singleness and an incredibly high view of marriage. So Paul champions both of these things. He doesn't pit them against each other. And secondly, Paul is going to reframe the questions they are asking in light of the gospel. He's not gonna make a new rule for every issue they have. He doesn't offer a quick formula. He's not like, here are my five best dating tips. Um, He's gonna tell them what scripture says, and he's gonna give them some of his own pastoral wisdom. Uh, But Paul's main concern in this letter is training the Corinthians to think like Christians. And learning to think like a Christian means learning to think about everything in light of the gospel. And that's because the gospel actually changes everything. The gospel reveals why everything exists and what everything is for. It's the story that God has been telling about himself since before the foundations of the world, and it's the story of his plan to have a people of his own who are gonna dwell with him forever. And that plan was revealed when God sent his son to live a perfect life of obedience, to die on the cross for our sins, and then to raise to life three days later. And by faith in that son, in Jesus Christ, we actually are united with him. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His life becomes our life. His father becomes our father. And eventually, his home is gonna be our home. That's the culmination of the gospel story. It will culminate with the return of Jesus. He's gonna come a second time, and he's gonna judge the world and take all those who belong to him to live with him forever. That's been God's plan since before the beginning of time, and we cannot understand God or ourselves or anything about the world that we live in until we understand the gospel. So in this letter, Paul is helping the Corinthians see how the gospel changes the way they think about everything. Uh, But in the verses that we're looking at this morning, he's particularly helping them see how the gospel changes our perspective on singleness. So to do that, uh, Paul gives the Corinthians three lenses for looking at singleness, three lenses for thinking about the questions that they have around this topic. He's gonna remind them first of who they are in Christ, of where they're headed in Christ, and in what ways they're free in Christ. And if we wanted to simplify that and put it in three main headings, we could say that Paul is giving them three lenses, the lens of identity, of eternity, and of liberty. So for my note takers, those are your three main headings this morning. Uh, Now, all of that state singleness, I realize, is a huge subject, and I'm not gonna say everything there is to say about it this morning. I'm confining uh, this morning's talk to the boundaries of the passage that we're looking at. So that means if you're a single person here, or just someone who cares about single people, um, you might have come with questions of your own that this passage doesn't directly address. They might be different questions from what the Corinthians were asking, but this letter was written down for our instruction, not just the Corinthians. It's scripture, and so that means it wasn't just written by Paul, it was co-authored 
by the Holy Spirit, and it was written for all believers at all times and all places, including the ones who are gathered here today. And the same spirit that inspired Paul to write these words is actually with us this morning, instructing our hearts, and he has something to say to you through this letter. So whether you're single or you're married or you're navigating the space in between, um, let's be listening to the Spirit and let's just receive whatever instruction he has for us today from his word. So I wanna read uh, verses 17 through 24. We're kind of breaking this up into three chunks. Um, and this is the, the first section. Nevertheless, let's see, I'll move over. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Okay, so the first lens that Paul is gonna give us for thinking about singleness is this lens of identity. And he begins with two analogies that I think probably would never occur to any of us. Slavery and circumcision. I'm guessing those weren't at the top of your mind either. Uh, so if that seems like an, a strange angle, I think just a little bit of ancient history could help us here. Um, without going into all the details, I do think it's important for us to remember that the system of slavery that was practiced in ancient Rome uh, was very different from the chattel slavery that was practiced here in the United States. So we don't wanna read what's in this passage or anything in scripture as some kind of broad endorsement of slavery. Uh, but there are some differences that are important to note because they actually give some context to the analogy that Paul's making here. So for instance, in Roman culture, um, there were sometimes people who were forced into slavery because they were prisoners of war or as punishment for a crime, but there was a large number of people who also entered voluntarily into slavery um, because it was actually a means of increasing your social and economic status in the ancient world. Uh, in, in those scenarios, it functioned more like indentured servanthood. It might not necessarily be for life. You might commit to it for a certain number of years. Um, there were social and economic benefits that came with that. You could get an education. You might be able to retain some of your earnings and buy your freedom, uh, or the patron who was responsible for you might give you freedom as a reward for good service. And freed slaves in the Roman world could become full Roman citizens and uh, would be allowed to vote, and their children were full Roman citizens too. So all of that would have mattered to the Corinthians because their city actually had a particularly high slave population. Uh, former slaves could hold public office there. They could even be city magistrates. So a lot of 
people who lived in Corinth uh, came there because they saw the benefits that were available to, to slaves, and they entered that system voluntarily as a means of increasing their social and economic status. There weren't very many paths to um, social and economic mobility in the ancient world, and this was one. So it was a way to, to change your status, to, to increase your status. And Paul also mentions circumcision in this passage probably for similar reasons. So if slavery was a way to, to gain social and economic status, um, circumcision was a way to gain status in some religious circles. Like there were Jews who wouldn't spend time with any Gentiles, any non-Jews, unless they were circumcised. So there were some like social groups you could not get into. You wouldn't be welcome there unless you had this mark on your body. So these two analogies kind of make sense because Paul's giving two examples of ways um, that people would have tried to change their status, uh, to move up in the world. And he's telling the Corinthians, don't be concerned with any of that. And kind of surprisingly to modern people, Paul puts marriage in the same category. In the ancient world, marriage was a way to gain social and economic position too. It was a way of improving your status. And it would still function that way um, in some traditional cultures today. But Paul tells these believers, hey, don't be concerned with your status according to any standard of this world. It doesn't change your value before God or your identity in Christ, so don't worry about it. Your social status, your economic status, your marital status, all of that is temporary and none of it determines your value. So modern people, um, it manifests a little differently in our society, I think, but modern people are just as concerned with elevating our status as ancient people were. I think we're just as prone to deriving our identity from our income, from our social circle, from our marital status. And to be completely honest with you, that's been true of me too. Like I have thought, man, if I were married, then I would know. I'm really valuable. I think if somebody loved me that way, I would feel like I'm really secure. Or, you know, if, if God would just give me this gift that I've been asking for, I think I would know. Like, oh, he really hears my prayers. He really cares for me. So marriage is a change of status, just like these other ones that Paul mentions, that we can become overly concerned about because we think it says something important about our identity. But if you're a Christian, there is only one change of status that defines you. You used to be an enemy of God, and now you're his child. You used to be dead in your sins and your trespasses, and now you've been made alive with Christ. You used to be under the dominion of darkness. And now you have been transferred into the kingdom of the son God loves. The phrase that the New Testament writers use to describe Christians most often is in Christ. So that is the status that defines us. And because we are in Christ, that means we are also covered with his righteousness. And we have been brought as near to God as the son of God himself. Because we are in Jesus, all God's delight in him has been poured out on us. All the love of the Father for the Son 
has been shed on our hearts too. All the affection God has for him, he feels toward you. So as far as Paul is concerned, uh, there is no improving that status. If you are in Christ, you are in the best position you could possibly be in. And because Jesus is gonna live forever, our status in him is eternally secure. It's never gonna change. So before Paul gets into all these questions the Corinthians have about singleness, he confronts the idea that any change of status in this world defines us. We are in Christ, and that puts every other status we have in the right perspective. So that's the first lens, identity. The second lens we're gonna talk about this morning is eternity. So let's take a look at the next couple paragraphs uh, from that letter. I think those are gonna be up here. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So next, Paul tells the Corinthians, let's look at singleness through the lens of eternity because he wants them to be free from the anxieties of this life and not just to make life easier, but so that they can focus on what's actually going to last. And then he says some stuff that always makes wives really nervous. Uh, but I don't think Paul is actually telling husbands uh, to neglect their wives in this passage. <laughs> that wouldn't glorify God. And actually he gives husbands very different advice in another letter. Uh, so hold those things together. But um, I think what Paul's getting at here is that we need to treat temporary things like they really are temporary, like they're passing away. And marriage, um, as far as the Bible defines things, is a temporary thing. Because in the Bible, everything that is not eternal is temporary. Those are the two categories. So even a lifelong commitment like marriage in that sense, is temporary because it ends when you die. And the Bible tells us there are some things that are not like that. There are some things that are gonna last longer than death. And there are investments you can make 
that will be stored up for you in a place where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And Paul says, prioritize those things, whether you're single or married. Don't get caught up in living your best life now. Because your best life, according to scripture, is not on the other side of your wedding day or that big promotion at work or the house you're looking at or that workout routine on Instagram. According to scripture, your best life is on the other side of your resurrection. And Paul recommends singleness to us on that basis because it actually has the potential to free people up, to focus on that side of life, to focus on what's eternal and to invest in what is going to last forever. So looking at singleness through that lens helps us in a few different ways. Um, It helps us understand why singleness is valuable and what it's actually for. Because, you know, culture will tell you that singleness is valuable. That's not a message we get only from the Bible. Uh, But culture will tell you that singleness is valuable because if you're not married, you can do whatever you want. You can spend your money however you want. You can spend your time however you want. You can pursue all your goals and your entire agenda. You never have to think about anything else or anyone else, and you don't answer to anyone. Basically, the world values singleness because the world says, oh, that has the potential to be an uninterrupted state of selfishness. And that is very different from what Paul tells the Corinthians. Paul says, no, singleness is valuable because it has the potential to be an uninterrupted state of selflessness. Singleness can uniquely position us to give ourselves, not indulge ourselves. And I know there there could be single people here this morning in a variety of different circumstances, and I don't know the particulars of your life, I don't know the demands on your time and your resources, but if you are single today, you should know that God considers that an advantage in his kingdom. And I don't want you to hear that as an obligation. I want you to hear it as an opening. And that's true whether you're single for 10 more days or 10 more years or your entire life. For however long you are single, you have a unique opportunity to leverage whatever flexibility and freedom you have for eternity. And there is some way God has uniquely positioned you to serve his purposes in the world and to make an investment that's gonna last. And I don't know what that is, but he does. And the fact that you are here this morning, the fact that he has joined you or is in the process of joining you to Jubilee Church means that he is already moving you in that direction. Because the church, the people of God, is the only human institution that lasts into eternity. You are here because God is already positioning you to do something with these people and for these people that is going to count forever. And if you haven't already started asking him what it is, I think you should start today. So looking at singleness through that lens helps us know why it's valuable and what it's for. And another way it helps us, or another way it's helped me, um, is that looking at singleness from the lens of eternity has helped me know what to do with my disappointed hopes and unmet longings in this life. And I think whether you're single or married today, you know what it is like to have a disappointed hope. 
and you have had a good desire that has gone unmet, or uh, there's some longing of your heart that hasn't been fully satisfied yet. And like for me, um, just to be transparent, like I'm unmarried and 40 years old, so even if I get married someday, there are things I've been asking God for um, that if he gives them to me will look different than I imagined. And I think that's something you can probably all identify with in some way or another. Um, but there's a line in the passage that we just read that really helps me. Uh, Paul says, let those who mourn live as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Now, I don't think Paul is saying here um, that we should ignore our emotions or try to numb them. I think he is acknowledging the emotional highs and lows of life, and he's reminding us that those are temporary too. Because there's a day coming when every longing of our hearts is going to be fully satisfied. And every tear is going to be wiped away. Every desire is going to be fulfilled. And not by a temporary joy, but by the eternal storehouse of pleasures that wait for us at the right hand of God. So if you are here this morning and you're confused or hurting or heartbroken, you will not be that way forever. Sorrow has an end date, but joy and peace and righteousness go on forever, and they are going to be ours in Christ for eternity. So look at those things. Look at your longings. Look at your disappointments. Look at them through the lens of eternity, and keep entrusting yourself to the God who is going to see you through to that day. Now, the third lens that Paul gives us um, for looking at singleness is the lens of liberty. So let's read the last paragraph we're going to look at, and we'll see what he says about that. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So I think we've seen this morning already that Paul has no problem recommending singleness to us. He sees it you know, as this very fruitful context for living a life devoted to God. And at the same time, I think we see in this last paragraph, Paul is very careful to preserve the Corinthians' liberty here. Um, he doesn't want anyone to think that if they marry, they've done something wrong. Um, so when we talk about Christian liberty, we're talking about areas where Christians are choosing between two different ways of obeying God. So we're not talking about the liberty to make up our own rules. We're not talking about the liberty to sin. We don't have that. <laughs> Wherever there is a clear command of God, uh, we know what we need to do. We have to obey. But there are some situations in life where you have multiple options and none of them would be sinful. And in those situations, our conscience can be clear about either choice. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about when we say liberty here, Christian liberty, that even while Paul highly recommends singleness, he is preserving our liberty to choose either of those states. Now, interestingly, there's another letter uh, where Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and he addresses singleness a little bit differently there. 
Paul tells Timothy to encourage the young widows in his church to remarry rather than remain single. He says he thinks marriage is gonna be a better context for them to devote their lives to God and to his purposes. So um, Paul recommends both singleness and marriage to different people in different contexts. But in both of those letters, I think Paul's main concern is not really convincing people to remain single or convincing people to get married. I think his main concern is securing their devotion to God. He wants everyone to love and obey God and to not be deceived by sin or to be distracted by the cares of this world. So within those bounds, Christians have the freedom to remain single and celibate, and we have the freedom to marry another believer. And I think we can discern from this last paragraph too a couple parameters for how single Christians can make those decisions. Um, One, I think Paul would tell us to consider our conscience. To be a single Christian is to be a celibate Christian. We don't have the option of having sex outside marriage. So Paul says, if you can control yourself, singleness is a better option. It's got all kinds of potential. But he's also really honest about the pitfalls. So be honest with yourself and with God, and don't decide to remain single based on a glorified view of your ability to resist temptation. Two, I think Paul would have us consider the wisdom of our community. That's what the single Christians in Corinth did. Like one of the reasons this chapter is in the Bible is because they asked a wise leader to help them think about singleness. So work out your obedience to God in conversation with your leaders and with the help of your community. The church is a family. There are spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters here. And God has placed you here because you need the wisdom of the whole family. You need the wisdom God has deposited, not just in you, but in this community to help you make decisions. So to kind of sum things up this morning, I think that based on the passage we've looked at, that Paul would tell us, hey, if you are secure in your identity in Christ, if you're not looking to any status, to define who you are. If you're living with your heart set on eternity, then you're free to be single to the glory of God or free to be married to the glory of God. There's a pastor named Sam Albury who says, uh, marriage shows us the shape of the gospel and singleness shows us its sufficiency. Both of these states are open to Christians and both of them can position us to glorify God and to serve him. But that is only possible if we look to Jesus as single people and as married people. Jesus lived his entire earthly life as a single man. So that means singleness doesn't just have Paul's seal of approval, it has the distinction of being the way the son of God chose to live as he walked the earth. So if you are single for one more day or for the rest of your life, you are identifying with Jesus as you walk that out. And that means singleness cannot be a lesser form of discipleship. It is not the JV squad for Christians. And we can be sure that if we are single, we're not limited by that status. 
in our ability to grow in Christ or in our knowledge of him, we can be sure that there's no spiritual blessing, no avenue of God's grace. There is nothing that will be necessary for us to be complete and whole that's off limits to us as single people. Because if Jesus wasn't limited in any of those areas by his singleness, then we won't be either. And at the same time, we can look to Jesus as the ultimate groom. He is the husband who laid down his life for the church, for his bride. And we collectively, as the church, are being prepared now for a wedding day where we're gonna be united with him. So that means every unmarried person in this room has a wedding day in their future, no matter what. So I don't know if you're all gonna be married in this life or not to another human, but I do know if you are a Christian, you will not miss out on marriage. And actually, you're gonna enjoy the kind of marriage that people on earth can't even imagine. It'll be so good. And you're gonna get to experience it forever. For all of us, there's only ever going to be one perfect marriage, but if we are in Christ, we're gonna get to be a part of that. I think if your marital status changes tomorrow, or if it never does, I think Paul would tell us, I want you to know you've got a secure identity and you have an eternal purpose and you have a liberty in Christ to glorify God in a variety of circumstances. And I wanna close things out today by praying for us along those lines. Father, I wanna thank you for instructing us again from your word, for always being faithful. Every time we come to you and open up the scriptures together, you are always faithful to feed us, instruct us, challenge us, encourage us. You are such a good shepherd. I pray you would lead each person here into the truth this morning, keep speaking to us. God, I pray that you would deposit something in each heart that you would seal it up and that it would grow for your glory and for the good of this church in the days to come. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray, amen.